Welcome to the Prophecy Club, and happy Thanksgiving to you. So, the situation is this. I'm going to be spending a few days with my family for Thanksgiving. So, we're going to make a fantastic offer for everybody to celebrate the Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays. So, Prophecy Club started inviting guests, making recordings back in June of 1993. Over 19 years, we made... Uh, about 330 recordings, 160 different guests, and we've offered these typically for about $30 each. Some of them are doubles for like $50. However, today you can go and watch about 300 recordings valued about $6,000 at WatchProphecyClub.com for a gift of $20 a month or $200 per year. That's a great deal, but we're about to make it even better. For the month of December... 2021, if you sign up for WatchProphecyClub.com, that's $20 a month or $200 a year, you're going to get the whole month of December, that's right, the whole month of December, free just for signing up, but you got to use the promo code WPC2021. Here's the way you do it. You go to WatchProphecyClub.com, and then you click Get Access Today, You put in the promo code WPC2021, as in Watch Prophecy Club 2021. I'll say it again. So you go to WatchProphecyClub.com, you click Get Access Today, and you put in the promo code WPC2021. You can watch any or all of, if you can watch all of the 300 DVDs during the month of December, free. Now let's go watch The Rise of the Beast by Dr. Stephen Houston, recorded in October of 2007. Welcome to the Prophecy Club, where we provide information and resources with a prophetic warning message to win souls to Jesus and to call people to repentance. Our topic tonight is Rise of the Beast. The reason this is important, and let me just say to my Catholic brothers and sisters right now, you don't know this side of the Catholic Church. We're not trying to push you away, but rather to inform you of a danger that you don't know about. Let me just put it this way. If Baptists were to have an evil person take control of the Baptist church, would they be offended if we told them? Would they be offended if they were warned? Well, I would like to think no. I've asked some of them. They said no. And I said, actually, we'd appreciate you telling us. So we hope you take the same attitude with this. We specifically and cordially invite Catholics to hear this talk. We are not trying to offend them, but simply to inform them, those that want to know the truth. Your speaker tonight is from the United Kingdom, and he's going to tell you of an entirely different perspective on the Catholic Church, a perspective that you do not see on the Catholic Church in America for the most part. Catholics in America are different than the other Catholics around the globe. The Catholic Church in America and the Catholic Church around the globe are very different. Beginning in the 12th century, our speaker went back exposing the Catholic plan around the globe as described first by St. Malachi, and the angel speaking to Demetri Dudeman, that a future pope by the name of Pope Sixtus Peter of Rome, the beast, will do battle against the holy. And he's going to battle against both Catholics and Protestants. Topics are going to be the Dudeman prophecies of the beast, the third Fatima, the secret of Fatima, the ten-toe families, the Vatican and Jesuit order, Fox News Network and the Shabo case, Vatican involved in American politics, the link between the Catholic Church and Freemasonry, the Pope prophecies of St. Malachi, 
and of course, Pope Sixtus Peter of Rome, the Beast. Will you help me welcome Dr. Stephen Houston. Well, God bless you and thanks. It's just absolutely wonderful to be again at the Prophecy Club. And uh, what a year it's been. Uh, a year ago, uh, I left the intelligence uh, agencies in this country and also uh, retired in the United Kingdom. And really, I've been involved in a lot of uh, research and stuff and involved in building a church in uh, England, some 70 miles uh, west of London. And I put uh, other pastors in charge, but I'm considering a move now to either Brussels or Rome. So uh, it's really an interesting time. Uh, I don't know about you, but I keep up with everything that's going on, and I'm sure most of the people that will watch this DVD will do exactly the same. And we're going to go through a lot of stuff uh, in the teach. Very important that uh, people realize that we are not, in fact, attacking Protestants. We're not going to attack uh, any denominational folk. We're not in it to attack Catholics. But I tell you, some of the things that I have found out, if true, uh, are really shocking indeed. And it's worthwhile that people are made aware of what's going on. Muslim scholars reach out to the Pope, uh, 10th of the 11th, 2007, it says. Here, more than 130 Muslim scholars have written to Pope Benedict XVI and other Christian leaders, urging greater understanding between the two faiths. And in fact, in this communique, it says it also insists that Christians and Muslims uh, worship the same God. And I read this and I was stunned because it says that they insist, these Muslim clerics insist, and uh, they want uh, basically Christianity to accept uh, Islam as worshiping the same God. Stunning times. Times of multi-faithism, ecumenism, all kinds of stuff. And today, you might ask yourself, uh, what exactly qualifies you, Stephen, to be able to talk about this particular subject? Well, you need to know, first of all, the subject that we'll be dealing with is itemizing, in my opinion, who will be the final Antichrist. You know, there are many different types of Antichrist. And many people say, well, it's the beast computer system in Brussels, or they're looking for a Syrian, or they're looking for uh, some uh, New Age guru, or they're looking for some economic leader, or they're looking for some uh, lookalike for Hitler or, or Napoleon. But they miss the entire nub of the issue. Prophecy is like a Pandora's box. It's like an onion. You take off one layer, you will get another layer. You take off one Russian doll. How many have seen a little Russian doll? It's like a doll that has dolls within dolls. And you take off one, then you get an identifit inside. And then, actually, once you get right down to it, you get down to the very issue itself. Well, prophecy is like this. It's like when you chuck a rock into a pond, a still pond full of water. There are rings of prophecy. They're all interconnected. But the issue is the actual rock that's thrown in. And we need to understand uh, exactly what that is. And I've been doing some study and really scratching the surface, I feel, and I'm sure there'll be people that will watch this DVD and they'll probably go, uh, you know, we could uh, inform you and Prophecy Club of some of the information that you're actually bringing out. Well, hallelujah, I think that you should contact us and uh, let us know. 
One of the reasons that draws my attention to the entire issue is the place in history that we seem to be from prophecy's point of view. And so, I'm going to be dealing on this teaching with Protestant and Pentecostal prophecies on the one hand, and Catholic prophecies on the other hand. Now, you may say, well, uh, you know, you're wearing a a Catholic uh, clergyman's outfit. Well, in America, unfortunately, most of the Protestant clergy have kicked baby out with bathwater, thinking that this collar's got something whatsoever to do with the Catholic Church. But it's not. This is not a Roman collar. In fact, until the 1900s, this was not worn by any Catholic priest or any pope. This is, in fact, a Protestant collar which came from the original uh, prayer shawl that was wrapped around the neck and then tied in a knot. And eventually that became the two white tabs that you see in the legal profession in Europe. And also, I was ordained as a Methodist minister in 1978, and I wore my Geneva gown, and I had my collar and the two tabs down the front representing the continuance of the prayer shawl. Now, uh, People need to understand uh, the history of Jesus Christ the Messiah. And if they did, they'd realize that he studied as a yeshiva boy uh, in, in the Parsi or Pharisee tradition. Parsi or Farsi can be found as a religion, as, as a Zoroastrian religion, can be found today in Mumbai or formerly named Bombay. Its symbol is the swastika. But it came from Iran or the worship of the god Ahura Mazda. Mazda is in the Mazda car. So you've got to watch what type of car that you drive because you never know whether the devil has actually put a sigil sign on that car and you're riding around and the demons know exactly where you are. A sigil is a satanic way of taking a word and making a symbol out of it. But uh, what happened was during the time of the exile when the Jews were in Babylon that there were two different traditions of interpretation of the Torah Uh, came to pass. I'm I'm just going to talk about this, so bear with me before we get to the nub of this issue, because it's very important. Because, you see, things have been added unto in Christian tradition. Things have been kicked out by Christian tradition. And it's very important that you understand that I'm not wearing a Catholic rig here. This is not a Catholic rig. I was ordained Methodist. Uh, I hope you like the bling here that I've been given. Actually, I was up in Sioux Falls recently, and uh, the uh, Catholics who came along to the meeting at a church that was made available, and uh, guess what? Uh, the Catholics, the Lutherans, the Reformed, the Presbyterians, the Baptists, and the Pentes all got on one place and one accord. It was, it was amazing. But I'm from Belfast. We kind of work, worked a, 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 on the anti-sectarian thing. And they all arrived in. And at the end of it all, at the end of the three Sundays and two Wednesday nights and uh, workshops and everything, talking about uh, the corporate body of Jesus Christ, which is made up of his body members, irrespective of what denomination you If you're born again, you're saved, and you love God, and you've got the Holy Ghost on you, well, I tell you, those Catholic charismatics, they just loved it, and they gave me this bling. So uh, I got this bling on here, so I'm wearing it in honor of those good folk, Catholic charismatics. God bless them. What happened with Jesus? He was a Pharisee who was trained by the Pharisees in Nazareth. He went to yeshiva school, and he wore the black gown with his prayer shawl in orthodox uh, Jewish fashion over his prayer shawl. And, of course, then once he started to have his own disciples, uh, then he 
was not stoned by the Herodians or attacked by the Romans because he was a legitimate rabbi. And a lot of Christians don't realize this. He couldn't have read from the Torah if he hadn't have been a rabbi. In fact, only the yeshiva boys or people studying in rabbinical school could touch the uh, literal Torah as it's brought from the tabernacle out round to the pulpit to be read in any synagogue. So you've got to understand this, this idea of some slum-dwelling, you know, slum-dwelling Jesus with this poor family up in Nazareth is total and complete nonsense. Jesus was in every sense a rabbi, and if people study Christian tradition, well, it's really up to the clergy to bring this stuff out, friends. But then once you get a group of disciples around you, this is why the Pharisees uh, uh, followed him about to, to listen to what he had to say in case they disagreed with it. Uh, but once you got to a particular place, then you were allowed to have an expensive purple robe. And now keep these colors in your mind. Very important. He had a purple robe that the purple sellers in Capernaum uh, funded. And that robe, of course, was uh, created a lottery at the cross where the Roman soldiers were all arguing and uh, had a lottery as to who was going to have it. Remember, that robe was taken off, the purple one, and a scarlet one was put on him by the Roman uh, guards who beat him and mocked him and spat upon him because he was uh, likened to be the king of the Jews. And, of course, they wanted to put a Caesar kingly robe, as they read it in their mind, upon him. Now, these things are very important because... Christian traditions are very important. I don't know about you, but I am shocked with where the Christian, uh, the Christian scene is going. I really am. And uh, I might be a foreign national. You might say, well, it's not up to you. But I see a lot of seeker-friendly churches where they hardly get to preach the Word of God on Sunday, where the band's got to be right. And, you know, there they are hanging in the Spirit. Look at me worshiping thee, Lord you know the one, and trying to follow an overhead projector with choruses that are, you know, that you can't follow. And, you know, then they all change next month. You have like flavor of the month books and flavor of the month choruses. You know, where did the old uh, true gospel uh, go to? I believe that we need to really redress the situation. God wants us to take a long, hard look at where we're at. You know, some uh, pastors there, you know, that casual about it all today that they kind of got the V-neck T-shirt and the jeans and a, a Starbucks in one hat. You know? <laughs> you know, it's okay if you like bring your Starbucks to church, but you don't actually get to the Word. I mean, this stuff, my friends, is absolutely wrong. We need to question it. And that's why that, uh, that I wear the collar. But not only because of that, most European Protestant churches, with the exceptions of certain uh, Baptists and certain Pentecostals, don't wear it. But generally, we all do. So if you're not used to it, and you're from America, or you're from somewhere that doesn't really, it isn't really used with wearing the collar, well, just don't turn me off or write off what I'm saying, because I'm born again, Bible-believing, washed in the blood, filled with the Holy Ghost, and I love Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that I'm speaking to you today, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, is just so that you begin to get the truth. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, I represented the Methodist Church at the World Council of Churches between uh, 1980 and 1981. And what I found, there was something shocking. I was one of the few evangelical percent that were in the Methodist Church. And... Uh, I was shocked with what I found in the World Council of Churches. There we were, 
deciding that we were taking historic nominal Christian attenders of Methodist church money together with Lutherans and Method, uh, Presbyterians and different other groupings, and we were basically uh, sharing in a joint program with the United Nations to be able to fund uh, left-wing guerrilla groups in Africa uh, on, the, on the back of water irrigation programs. And I was absolutely shocked with what I found. Yes, there were some humanitarian uh, things that we dealt with, but the majority of things were really could have been dealt with with some kind of non-Christian society. Well, that's one reason that really I feel that I've got to bring out what I've got to bring out uh, here today. The second thing was I was a minister within Methodism between 1979 and 1989. And, of course, then I had a problem in 1989 because I got baptized into the Holy Spirit. And, of course, those Methodists, they thought a second experience should be holiness or some kind of thing like entire sanctification or Christian perfection. Instead, it was the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit uh, just consumed me. My life was filled. uh, And I just began to speak in tongues and those weird things, you know, and God give me gifts of healing, and I tried to explain this to some of my superiors. Non-Methodism was pretty hard because this preacher has battered more dust out of more Methodist pulpit than enough. In fact, there's been feather hats in certain Methodist churches that have been blown off uh, to back walls. And in fact, uh, whenever I was a young man and I was in my probationary year uh, on the president's list of supply uh, in Ireland, I had four little churches, and then I was invited to come in that big old grand Wesleyan church in Cork City in Ireland, and they have two pulpits in those t- days. They had one for the, for the lay preachers, uh, and that was kind of like down on ground level, and then I had a big one up high where all the uh, alicadoos and all the, the big preachers would go, and I thought, well, I'm a young man, I'm going to go up there. And of course, I was wearing one of those long cassocks, you know, and, uh, you know, I, uh, as I'm walking up, all of a sudden I realize I'm getting smaller and smaller, it's because I'm walking inside the cassock, <laughs> until I actually did a somersault into the pulpit. And I'm telling you, all the kids in the gallery, man, they were laughing their heads off. They couldn't believe what they saw. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, hey, I tell you, I preached in more pulpits. I preached in pulpits that looked like egg cups, you know, where you got your gown on and you're kind of pecking at the audience. Hallelujah. And God has really blessed me and set me free. But in those days, we were in the minority as evangelicals. In fact, I was challenged by the circuit uh, or the uh, chairman of the district, kind of like a Methodist bishop would be here. And he said, uh, he was one of those preachers, you know, that had the invisible soap in his hands. You know, that type. You know. And uh, he said, uh, he said uh, 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 Stephen, what do you mean by preaching on the blood of Christ? And I said, well, Dudley, you know, it's the efficacious, ongoing, everlasting blood of Christ that was shed on the mercy seat uh, for the atonement before the Father for our sins. Oh, he goes. Um, He says, I suppose I was uh, more close to God whenever I was at Bible college than I am now. In other words, he didn't know a thing about the blood. You know, there are loads and loads of people, and you need to pray for people that are saved in some churches. But I just about had it whenever it came to uh, 1989 on baptizing the Holy Spirit. Well, I had to make a, 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 a stand, and in 1988 I stood in the, in the Synod, and actually the president of the Methodist Church, he was interested in me because he'd <laughs> heard of my reputation. Uh, and he said, Stephen, do you want to reform the Methodist Church? I said, yes, I do. <laughs> It needs to be reformed. 
And uh, he said, well, he says, Let's, let, let, let me ask you this. What do you think about Islam? And you know the Holy Spirit had to come back with a real quick wit. You know the way the Holy Spirit does that when you can't think of things and you don't have an answer? And I just came right out of it. I said, well, Ishmael is honored, but Isaac is blessed. And he, he just went, he just start, threw his head back and laughing. And, and he thought, my goodness, this guy is some sharp. But I had to protest, and I eventually left the Methodist church and became a Pentecostal. Hallelujah. And the reason I became a Pentecostal was because the Methodist church started to ordain homosexuals. And I couldn't agree with it. And then the next thing they started to do was basically to integrate in the World Council of Churches with Episcopalians and other denominations. You know, and if you belong to these churches and you're kind of like a remnant holding out, you know the th- kind of thing that I'm talking about and the kind of thing that you've got to put up with. I mean, you've got property boards selling off dead churches and doing all sorts of stuff and you don't know what to believe and you're going along there and you believe in God, but, you know, every time it comes Halloween, there's a pumpkin outside your church. You know what I mean? And you're kind of going, this shouldn't really be, but I'm believing God that God's going to change it. You know, I know it's hard, but you've got to listen to God and see what God uh, wants you to do. The next reason that I want to bring this talk is because a friend of mine called Father Gilbert Sim was originally a Church of Scotland Protestant minister up in the Shetlands. And every year I was invited by the Church of Scotland to preach all around their parishes. And I got to go up to these islands way up above Scotland and go and preach the gospel. And they'd have the Methodists come in uh, and, and do like crusades. Well, Gilbert was married. He had uh, a wife. He had three children. And he had read Thomas Aquinas and Laguire and other Catholic theologians. And he made a decision. Uh, and I got a phone call from the Reverend Albert Bogle uh, to tell me that uh, Gilbert Sim had left his wife, left his kids, uh, and he had become a Catholic priest and that the Catholic Church uh, didn't recognize his Protestant marriage, didn't recognize his Protestant ordination, and uh, that he was now off to Rome to be uh, a Catholic father. And I thought, wow, what's all that about? And I kind of put it out of my head until recently, whenever I started to think about a lot of the things that are going on. Then the other reason that I feel so strongly I want to talk to you uh, today about this is because that I used to teach 600 Catholic charismatics in Silver Spring, Maryland used to teach them the Word every Friday night, taught in a high school, uh, 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 evangelical high school in Mayo, Maryland, on the other side of, on the east side of Annapolis, uh, in the daytime on a Friday in 1977. And then I used to drive all the way from Maryland through D.C. up to Silver Spring, where 600 uh, Catholic charismatics would be in a, in a high school. And I'd teach them the Word, and we'd enjoy it, and there we would be with our hands raised, worshiping Jesus. Also, I've got many friends who are Roman Catholic uh, and are in the Roman Catholic priesthood. Uh, and uh, they used to come and uh, uh, come to the Methodist manse and say, Hey, is that Protestant heretic inside? <laughs> they used to knock the door. They had nothing better to do. And uh, they wanted to come in and play checkers. And so we'd sit and play checkers and ar- argue religion. And I'd try to get them saved. And they'd try, <laughs> they'd try to tell me I was a big heretic and uh, so on and so forth. So I want to uh, present this message to many Catholic clergy because they need to know. There are many guys in there that still would like to, you know, go forward in truth. And so I really do believe that uh, God wants to give you a revelation of what I'm going to tell you. Uh, Also, I want to 
tell the folks here that are present uh, literally tonight uh, as we record this DVD that at this particular moment in time, the prevalence of deception that there is in Christianity is getting stronger and stronger. The Bible says, God shall send them strong delusion, that their foolish heart be darkened, that they might not come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, that's happening in the world and in the world system. But I tell you, deception is happening in the church. And the big issue amongst Christians in these coming days will be discernment. And it will not only be discernment over the dividing line of Israel and what the church does with Israel, but it's also going to be what's actually going on within the Christian church itself. Because I'm seeing a division coming right down the middle on the issue of what you believe. The Word of God says that brother will deliver up brother unto the death. Brother will deliver up brother unto death. So we need to know we're going to have to have a new kind of wisdom, which is the application of knowledge to have the discernment that only the Holy Spirit will bring. Well... Why have I called this the rise of the beast? Because the individual who will become the very Antichrist himself will in fact be a beast. Those of you that are Catholic will remember uh, church history and you'll remember the anti-popes that there were. Most Protestants don't realize this. They expect that there was some Christian Baptisty type group throughout history and that it was always a Pro- Protestant church. But I just want to let you know tonight that most of your ancestors uh, were all Roman Catholics. Uh, there was only the Waldensians and before that Savonarola. But for 1,500 years, the Roman Catholic Church kept the uh, tenets of the faith. You need to also understand in the audience tonight, if you're not a Catholic, that the Catholic Church wasn't always into papal infallibility. It wasn't always into uh, believing in the Immaculate Conception of Mary. That for uh, many hundreds and hundreds and centuries, hundreds of years, that the Catholic Church held to good tenets. In fact, whenever some of the prophecies came out uh, in the Middle Ages, we were told as Protestants these were the Dark Ages, but in fact these were ages of great enlightenment. Uh, and you need to understand that. Well, I put, uh, I don't know whether you see it here on the, um, on the screen, and for those of you that are watching by DVD, I want you to look at this. I call it the rise of the beast because this guy is going to be a beast. Jesus had disciples, and he said, one of you is a devil. He didn't say, one of you has a devil. He said, one of you is a devil. And that's a very important thing, because this guy is going to rise as a beast. He is going to rise. He's going to have the nature. Those of you that are Catholic remember the anti-popes. You remember back to Cesare Borgia, one of the worst popes that ever lived. He was from Spain. He had, he had uh, uh, incest with his own sister. He was involved in all kinds of wickedness that went on and satanic uh, rites that went on behind the scenes during his papacy to such an extent that uh, many of the bishops wanted to get rid of Cesare Borgia. But this beast that's coming will not only just be uh, involved in the papacy, he will, uh, in my opinion, he will actually be involved in an interfaith, multi-faith, polytheistic oneness that will happen this coming together of Christianity, so that you'll either be of the name of being a Christian, of the name of being a Catholic, or actually involved in being the clergy itself. Three things. So, you know, I want to give you some thoughts to go away with 
uh, today as you listen because uh, much of what I'm bringing to you, I, I just want to set a premise. It's my opinion. This is just my opinion. This is my investigation, but I thought it's important enough to bring and to expose. Here we have the coat of arms of the uh, papacy or of the Pope. At the top, we see a triple crown. That triple crown, each crown on the Pope's uh, triple crown is in fact a crown representative of a certain thing that the Pope has authority over. The top crown speaks of the fact that he is the king of heaven as far as earth is concerned. In other words, he's king of heaven. The middle crown stands for the fact that he's the king of the earth. So he's king of heaven, king of earth. And then the bottom crown on the triple crown stands for he's the king of thrones and dominions and purgatory. So in other words, the Pope is... As far as we are concerned on earth and those who are Catholic should respond to, that he is the king of heaven, he is the king of earth, and he's the king of thrones and dominions, in other words, purgatory, those under the earth. Then we have, beneath that, we have the, the cross keys, which stands for Catholic interpretation of Matthew 16, 18, Matthew 18, 18, where Christ speaks of authority and binding and loosing, but he talks about giving his authority to the church. And he says uh, in his word, uh, when he talks to Peter, and thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Well, of course, Catholicism takes that as meaning that Peter was to be that rock on which uh, that Christ would build his, build his church. But I'm sorry, Catholics, I don't want to offend you here, uh, uh, and Protestants shouldn't become triumphalist in what I'm just about to say, but actually, you're not actually right, Catholics, in regards to your interpretation of the Greek. Because Jesus actually says here, he says, uh, Thou art Petros, thou art a piece of the rock, Peter, but upon this Petra, Upon this rock I will build my church, referring to himself, that he was the rock. You know, I've heard other teachers talking about the rock of revelation, knowledge, and some vagaries, but actually in the original Greek, what it means, Peter is Petros, but I am Petra. So he said, thou art Petros, uh, and upon this Petra I will build my church. So, uh, you know, it's important that you know the real things here. You know, I, I hope that you communicate with me, some of you people that may disagree with what I've got to say to you, but it's very important that you get the full impact of what I'm saying today. Right here, I want to, you to take a look at the uh, symbol or the uh, flag for the ecumenical movement, the World Council of Churches. Now, the World Council of Churches uh, have this flag, and on this flag is the Greek word ukumene, and they have a little boat with a cross in it. It's kind of like... Uh, uh, cheesy now, but it's kind of like modern and whatever. But uh, the Vatican w always remains outside the World Council of Churches. It refuses to join the uh, amalgamation of the Protestant churches. It just sits on this board as an observer. Now, it's very important that we bring up about the World Council of Churches because a lot of Christians don't realize how advanced this particular uh, organization has become, and they don't know exactly what it is. Actually, in my opinion, having studied the Bible, and it's just my opinion, friends, and theologians, please argue with, with me if you will, but the only ecumenic, as I see it in the Bible, is the blood. 
I actually don't think that there's any reason to have an ecumenical movement at all because we're already one through the blood of Christ. If we have received a Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, well then we're baptized into His body, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 17, 10, 17, 12, 12, and 13, 12, 17. And in Ephesians 5, 30, we're members of His body, literal body, flesh, and blood. You know, today as I'm bringing the Word, I hope you don't see my flesh. I hope you don't, as a Christian, want to know me after the flesh. Know why? Because I've been going around on the Prophecy Club tour, and I'll tell you, after a couple of days, my socks stink. (laughs) Because, you see, uh, if you know me in the flesh, 99 times out of 100, you're going to say, well, is this wrong and is that wrong with Houston? And 99 times out of 100, you're going to be right if you're going to look at me in the energy of the flesh. But isn't it good we look at one another through the blood of Christ? You see, we see one another. We don't want to know, as Paul said, one another uh, after the flesh. I want to look into your eyes and see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. That's the issue. I am crucified with Christ, Galatians uh, 6.3, buried with Him. Uh, 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 Galatians 6.3. No, I'm crucified with Christ in Galatians 2.20. Buried with Him in Romans 6.3. I got it. And risen in Him in Romans 8.11. So, I have the same Spirit living in me that raised Christ from the dead. And that's all that we need to know. Now, back to this ecumenical movement. This is very important that you get a hold of this. Because this world cause of churches is bringing deception amongst Protestants. Now, generally, it is made up of academic, historic, uh, nominal, church-going, historic Protestant denominations. And the deception that has come into Protestant churches is different than that that has come into Catholic churches. What is it? Well, in historic nominal attending uh, Protestant churches, it is basically a disbelief in the Word of God. In fact, most of the historic Protestant churches uh, are of the opinion now that it was a nice little story. They deny the virgin birth. They deny the uh, resurrection of Christ. They deny the fact that there's a divine imprimatur stamped upon the Word of God, that from Genesis to Revelation, this entire Bible is totally and literally the Holy Spirit-breathed Word of God. And there there are people that are hanging in a remnant of some of these, I would classify possibly dead denominations, dare I say it, that they are living in hope, but I just want to assure you that my experience in my ministry has been borne out that the uh, uh, liberal attitudes of some of these Protestant preachers is so great and so prevalent and in dominion within their organization that really true Christian uh, belief and evangelical standards are swamped completely. And so it's gone to such an extent now Uh, Well, let me explain how it happened, and it happened here in this country too, but old German liberalism, Kant, Kierkegaard, existentialist teaching were translated into theology for you theologians out there, affected the teaching of Barth and Brunner and America, Paul Tillich, and all of a sudden Princeton and Fuller and all these great, wonderful Protestant seminaries that were set up initially in America for the preaching or the training of ministers to preach the gospel ended up being nothing more than liberal existentialist schools uh, for uh, liberal preachers. And most of the pulpits were affected during the 20th century by this kind of uh, uh, liberalism. Of course, there's different individual little pockets of, say, Presbyterians or Methodists or 
uh, Episcopalians that actually believe the Word of God. So I want to encourage different ones that have branched out, i.e. the charismatic Episcopalians, different Cumberland Presbyterians, so on and so forth. Some of these people are legitimate, so I'm not going to categorically just uh, say it's all the same. But you need to know the prevalence of this World Council of Churches. Now, the Church of Rome and the World Council of Churches at the present time, they now declare themselves to be trusted partners. And that that, kind of really stuns me. I don't understand that at all. I mean, it's really strange, especially whenever Benedict uh, really puts his foot in it, because not only does he offend Islam by going to Germany and uh, quoting somebody in Germany in regards to their views on Islamic uh, religion being a separate god from Christianity. But the real cat comes out of the bag when he's back in the Vatican and he makes a statement in the Vatican and uh, some sources have leaked it, have got into the press and others uh, that I have in the Vatican that have leaked it to me have said that behind the scenes Benedict is saying things like no Protestant church has salvation. In fact, he actually has come out with a statement that there is no true salvation outside of the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, if you're not confirmed Roman Catholic, Benedict XVI has said, that you're not in fact a Christian. And that most of the Protestant denominations have no right to say that they can actually uh, purport to uh, advance the uh, message of salvation through Jesus Christ because that's solely within the preserve of Roman Catholicism. And yet, on the other hand, he's saying, <laughs> he's saying that we are trusted partners with the World Council of Churches. Now, who is being fooled? I just uh, don't understand it. But the thing that really uh, is stunning is the background of this whole thing and who's actually involved. Because you need to understand and ask the question, in your church, are you in fact a member of the World Council of Churches? You know, and is your church a member of the World Council of Churches? And if you do, you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. Now, let's take a look at the background here. From an outsider's perspective, classical Roman Catholicism is like a nice traditional religion that's very devout, uh, very, uh, very interesting in its uh, forms of worship. Lots of bells and smells. Lots and uh, lots of, uh, you know, bells ringing and men walking about in long robes. Uh, and then it's focused on the um, miracle of the Mass at the end of the service. In other words, where the literal uh, bread becomes the blood and uh, sinew of Jesus Christ. Now, Protestants, hold on here. Hold on. Now, don't be getting on your high horse because it's very important that you realize this. Because again, you know, the Bible doesn't teach that we should head over to a remembrance service and issue out Baptist packed lunches. See what I'm saying? A lot of Protestants believe that we should just have a memorial service. No, Jesus said, take, eat, this is. He didn't say this maybe is. He said this is. This is. Now, it's very interesting. Now, this is just Houston theology. Come back at me, theologian, but it's very important nonetheless. See? Got to learn something tonight. We're not just going to rehash stuff tonight because you're, you're, you're dealing with an Irish man here. You see what I'm saying? And our Irish people believe uh, strange stuff. We're saints and scholars, but we'd fight with our own shadow. You know what I mean? The worst thing you could ever say to an Irish man is, is put him in a barrel and tell him to sit in the corner. <laughs> but Jesus said, take, eat, this is. 
What did he mean? He said, I am actually the creator that was involved in the substance of all things. You see what I'm saying? So actually, if you're eating this bread, you're taking part of what my entire creation was meant to be. In fact, I don't want you disciples just to look for a quick way out from this planet. I don't want you to see this material world in which we live as ostensibly evil, but I want you as kings and priests to take dominion over it again because all of it and everything that's created is of me. Woo! And in fact, you are the very transubstantiation of the body of Christ. In fact, you're the substance of the body of Christ. So there was something special in that, but of course Catholicism, of course, turned it into a singular understanding of that one loaf. Now, we all are baked in the one loaf, aren't we? Doesn't Corinthians tell us that? Yes, of course it does. Uh, I've never seen a crumb react at being a crumb on a loaf, have you? You know, a lot of Christians, they get in the flesh. I don't understand why they get in the flesh, because dead men don't get offended. They shouldn't. Colossians 3.3, my life is dead and hid with Christ in God. I ought to be at peace with myself and everybody else. In fact, I shouldn't be in carnal competition with anybody. I see a lot of Christians, they're all in competition. I don't know what, about you, but I've been to some churches, and man, they're uh, praying in tongues and singing and hallelujah, amen, amen. And then they get outside and they're fighting with each other as to who gets out of the parking lot and into the nearest <laughs> restaurant, <laughs> Right? Living in the flesh doesn't take the devil to come immediately and steal the word, man. They're just chucking the word out of the window of the, of, of the Dodge pickup truck. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And they're fighting and fussing as to who could get, and they've got to get down the road and get into the restaurant before the, uh, before the uh, you know, before the Baptists do so they can get home and watch the Cowboys uh, beating Philly on, uh, in the NFL. But, you see, it's, you know, it shouldn't be this way. We're the very substantiation of Christ. Now, back to the thought tonight. Because classical Roman Catholicism is seen very different by the secular world. And also, the secular world sees academic Protestantism as being very different than what we think as Christians it actually is. All secular uh, humanism sees uh, Protestantism as, as a pale facsimile of Roman Catholicism that kind of split away uh, and they're kind of bewildered by it because there's one Catholic church and 39,000 Protestant denominations in the world. And they're kind of going, well, you know, that's really strange. Well, I mean, of course it isn't because I can tell you right now that most Protestants see themselves as a denomination. <laughs> you know, me. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it tell me that there's democracy in churches. Woo! Bible teaches me. Now, that, uh, Oh, oh, hold on, here comes Houston's opinion again. But, but I read a hierarchy here in the Bible. I also see that, uh, you know, that in fact there is a division between clergy and lay here, between those that are, you know, wanting to live in Galilee and have their house, their car, their, uh, their lifestyle, their church that they vote the pastor into if they agree with. Uh, uh, and then there's a difference between that crowd and actually the crowd that uh, want to go on the road with Jesus and be discipled by the Word and accept a full-time ministry. See, I think there's a very clear difference here. Very clear difference. And a lot of Christians uh, don't want that. They want to have their house, their car, their church, their wife, and they'll decide who the pastor is. And if they don't like them, they'll kick them out and not give their tithes and offerings and everything else. It's got to such a place. I don't know about you, friends, but I'm stunned by what I see. 
I'm stunned by what I see in America. Everybody has their ministry. They have the coffee-making ministry. They've got the toilet-cleaning ministry. They've got the something-else ministry. Uh, none of these ministries do I see in the Word. I only see five of them, man. Five. I only see. I, that's all I see. And, and actually, that's up for grabs because this should really, you know, it can only be four. Pastor, teacher is one in the same ministry. So it, you can imagine what it must look as you're like a secular humanistic type of person coming in. You know, it's kind of like me whenever I first became a Pentecostal. I, you know, I didn't know anything about Pentecostal. And whenever I was a Methodist, I didn't know anything about healing either. You know, and I got baptized in the Holy Ghost in 1989. You know, there was no books, tapes, nothing. You went into a Christian bookstore in Britain. There was, you know, it was all uh, uh, pink and, uh, you know, the writer Pink, A.W. Pink, and Calvin's commentaries, and all these different things. And you can find a Smith, Smith Wigglesworth book. Uh, you know, they banned all those in the Christian bookstores, even though he was from England. And I couldn't find anything at all. And of course, you know, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and God gave me the gifts of healings. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, uh, I've got to use this. So I was involved in a big crusade. 600 well-healed English people arrived in a tent in the middle of nowhere to go and worship God. And I said to the Baptists, and there was Baptists, and there was Episcopalians, and there was Presbyterians all involved with the United Reformed Church folk over there. And uh, some of them weren't saved, and they were in the choir. You know, they all went and started drinking pints before they arrived at the big tent. And they was all sat up in the choir waiting to sing all them sanky hymns. And they fell out of the back of the tent. They was all drunk. Forty books, eight hundred dollar value for a hundred dollars. Secret door to understand Bible prophecy is a deep dive into Bible prophecy. Miss the mark is the book you give to people that you never want to take the mark of the beast. God's warnings to America's a hundred and one modern prophecies, everything from Dimitri Dudeman to rest of the most popular, the most credible prophets out there. Tribulation Secrets in Daniel is the book that you read to understand as a tribulation saint, what you need to know. And then how pre-trib one, you'll settle your question about the rapture. Now, you can get all five of these in a giant package. We offer them in shrink wrap sets, shrink wrap sets of 10 for the Understand Bible Prophecy. Miss the Mark is in shrink wrap sets of 10. God's Warning is shrink wrap sets of 10. Daniel is five. How pre-trib one is five. So it's a total of 40 books. Valued at $800, all for a gift of just $100 at prophecyclub.com. The good news is EMP Shield has devices the military testing facility says protect 100% against EMP, solar flares, lightning, power surges, backed by a 10-year warranty and a $25,000 insurance policy. View simple video installation instructions for home, vehicles, RV. You can have electricity in a blackout. Use the promo code PROPHECY for a $50 gift card, and it helps your Prophecy Club. These days, emergency food is mostly sold out, but HeavensHarvest.com has all sorts of emergency supplies and food in stock. Their food comes in square stackable buckets, breakfast, entree, protein, fruits and vegetables, I recommend you have at least 12 months of food for each person in your family. Receive a free box of heirloom seeds when you enter the promo code STAN at heavensharvest.com. Promo code STAN. Terry Sock is a prophecy student, and he reads his King James Bible, and he believes in winning souls so much 
He is supporting the Prophecy Club so that we can win more souls. So if you want to support someone that loves prophecy and wants to win souls, I'm going to send you to cornerstoneassetmetals.com where you can get all sorts of precious metals, gold, silver, rhodium, palladium, and things like that. cornerstoneassetmetals.com Click like, share, subscribe, and send to a friend.